Good morning again. Uh, for those maybe who are new to Joy, uh, visiting this morning, my name is Jeff Crispin. I'm one of the elders here at Joy. I'm not one of the normal guys that is kind of up here, uh, but from time to time I get the wonderful privilege of uh, sharing God's Word with us, and I have that wonderful privilege this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Act, Acts chapter 4. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, spending our time this morning in Acts chapter 4. I believe it's on page 912 on the Bibles that are in front of you, so it'd be good just to try to open up there and uh, follow along. Uh, that word is far more important than I do, but he, uh, he gifts his people to proclaim this word, and uh, we're going to trust that God is going to do that with us this uh, morning. We have been uh, moving through kind of a long narrative uh, we're in the book of Acts. We kind of started back up, and this is the fourth message we've had on really the same story, uh, one kind of continuous story. Jason has kind of taken us through the first three. I've got a little, uh, the fourth this, this morning, uh, but we've just, this lame beggar uh, is just begging to Peter and to John and uh, silver and gold, I have none, but in the name of Jesus, I say to you, rise up and, and walk, and more than rising up and walk, he rose, he walked, he leaped, he, he praised God, a, a lame man from birth. Um, is, is leaping and praising God, a miracle that none can uh, deny. And, and, and John and Peter, Peter rightly so. He, this was not us. This was not our doing. This was Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. It is in his name, in his name alone, that this man is well. And he preached the gospel to this large gathering that had seen this miracle. Well, that caused some trouble. And they were brought in for trouble. They were brought in by the chief priests and by the religious leaders. And they stood before him and have given account for what happened. And what did Peter do again? He preached. He told them what was up. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up uh, from the dead. And he proclaimed uh, the gospel in their hearing. And they discerned on their own. And they came back. And they weren't sure what to do. They couldn't deny the miracle. And they didn't want to cause problems, I guess, with the crowds. They say, you're not to speak in this name any longer. And Peter even spoke to that. And uh, he says, you're to speak to this no longer. And without any more, they, they sent them on their way. And that brings us to our text this morning. So Acts chapter 4, continuing this narrative, continuing this story, we begin in verse 23. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Might God indeed grant us understanding of this is word this day. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, in just a few moments, would you give insight? Would you give understanding by your spirit? Lord, it won't happen if you don't do it. I can't stand and speak, Lord, if you don't do it. And we can't hear and we can't receive and we can't participate in your word this morning if you don't do it. We are holy and utterly dependent upon you right now. And truth be told, we are always, every moment of every life of our entire lives, we are wholly and utterly dependent upon you now. Would you have mercy and show kindness to us and meet with us now over your word? Grow us, build faith in us. Be glorified in this gathering, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our text just begins, and they, when they released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. I like that they went to their friends. All right, we haven't started with church yet. We haven't gotten the whole thing figured out. All they know is God's done some amazing things, and people are gathering, and, and 3,000 were saved, and, and more than 1,000 or 2,000 were saved, and these people are starting to gather, and the Word of God says they went to be with their friends. They, they left the elders and the chief priests, and they went to the fellowship. They went to be among the people, the, the, the people of God, the, re, the redeemed people, the people whom God has powerfully been at work in their hearts and their lives, and they went. And what did they do? Well, they just celebrated. They, they gave testimony. They, they bore witness to what, what God did. They explained to them all the things that had happened, all the things that were said. They gave testimony to God's deliverance. They gave testimony to God's goodness. They gave testimony to God's persevering them. All right? And they prayed. They, 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 they rejoiced, and the first thing they did together was, was pray. And that's what we have here this morning. That's the text. The text is a prayer. It's a prayer that they said. It says, together they prayed this. I don't know how it happened. Maybe one or two led. Maybe the, the Spirit led where many were, were joining together, saying the very same things. But, but they prayed. And what we have this morning and what we're going to look at this morning is a prayer. And I want us to consider three things from this prayer. Three good things. This prayer first is rooted in the character of God. We're going to see first that the, the prayer is rooted in the character of God. Second, it is filled with the word of God. It, 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 it's rooted in God's character. It's filled with God's word. And thirdly, it expresses the will of God. The, the character of God, the, the word of God, and the will of God. I think we can agree that's a good prayer. Many times my prayers don't reflect the character of God. And they don't reflect the word of God. and They don't reflect... The will of God, but this one does. And it would be good for us to take a few moments to consider it this morning. So let's do that together this morning. The first thing we see is this prayer is rooted in the character of God. They, 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 they ascribe to God, sovereign Lord. The, the, these, these men have just come back, and for the first time, they're experiencing uh, persecution. They see that things are getting turned up. We didn't know if they were going to beat us. We didn't know if they were going to imprison us. We didn't know if they were going to kill us. Things have changed. 
And now there's perseverance. And the first thing they utter out of their mouths together corporately, led of the Spirit, what a sovereign Lord. The first thing they acknowledge is God has all authority over all things, at all times, in all places, according to all circumstances. Our God exercises his power, his rightful dominion and authority over all things, at all times, in all places, over all peoples. Sovereign Lord. Our God is sovereign and he exercises his power over creation. And I'm sure Peter and I'm sure John and I'm sure all that were gathered in that building knew the words of the Lord Jesus when they was given the Great Commission. Before he said, go and make disciples of all nations, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. And it's good that we be reminded. It's good that our thinking goes to this place. I, I just, as I was kind of thinking about, we, we speak of the sovereignty of God often, and just, I was going through work this week, and something just kind of came to my mind, and maybe it's not going to help you, but it really kind of helped me. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, it says this, and he, God, put all things under his feet. God the Father put all things under Jesus's feet. Hebrews 1.13 says, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. And, and he goes on, I think in Hebrews 2, he tells us uh, um, that you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in, subject in, uh, in subjection under his feet. And I just began to kind of think about that. I brought a, just a, a footstool from my work. And just that image, I just needed to see that image. He has all things in subjection under his feet. I needed that reminder. Now, now Hebrews says we don't see all things now as in subjection under his feet. It doesn't look like it a lot of the times that all things are subject under Jesus' feet. It actually looks like the opposite often. Our world is nuts. Our world is crazy. Our world is out of control. Where's God in the midst of this? I want to say to you on the authority of the word of God, everything, I mean everything, is under subjection, under the feet of Jesus. I'm mindful of Isaiah 46. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the, 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 the uh, end from the beginning, declaring from ancient times things not yet done, saying, I will accomplish all my purpose. And I will, I will accomplish all that I plan, and, and I will accomplish all of my good purpose. He reigns over all things. Jesus is accomplishing everything. Here, everything he purposes. No matter how crazy, no matter how bizarre, earthquakes, famines, all that would happen, our God rules and our God reigns, and not one of his purposes are thwarted. He says in Isaiah 40, all the nations and all their upbringing, it's like a drop in a bucket. It's like dust on a scales. God looks at the nations as nothing, as next to nothing and meaningless. Oh, he loves and oh, he is full of mercy. 
He is sovereign over all things. And the first thing that they ascribe to Almighty God in the midst of their plight is that their God is sovereign. And how has that been enacted? How has that worked out in their lives? Well, he says it in verses 27 and, and, or verses 27 and 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. We can take it to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the most heinous act that's ever been perpetrated in human history. And he speaks of Herod, he speaks of Pontius Pilate, he speaks of the Jews, he speaks of the Gentiles, and they were all sinful, and they were all malicious, and what they did was evil. And they will be accounted for that evil. They will give an account for that evil. And God was absolutely sovereign. He accomplished everything that he purposed. He accomplished everything that he intended. And in fact, he accomplished the greatest good that humanity has ever known. Sinful people. In the moment, what in the world is happening? We thought this man was the savior of the world. In the moment, it makes absolutely no sense. It is the predetermined plan and purpose of God. Before the, nation, before the world was created, there was a lamb that was slain, Revelation 13 tells us. It was in God's heart. It was in God's mind before there was anything that he would send his son into the world, not just to rule and to reign, but to come and to live and to die for our sins and to rise again over sin and death and hell and ascend to the Father again. That was the plan of God, and God's plans are never thwarted. Our God is sovereign. And I don't know of a more comforting doctrine in the Bible. Some of us can point our finger at God, and some of us can blame God, and some of us, and listen, he can handle all that. He's big. He can handle all that. In my toughest moments in life, and I haven't had many, knowing that my God rules and reigns, there is not one single thing that comes into my life that God has not allowed and God has not purposed for my good and for his glory. That is an incredibly comforting doctrine. Because just looking at it, it doesn't make a bit of sense. But when we know that our God is sovereign, it can bring an incredible comfort and an incredible peace and incredible boldness to our lives and to our witness. The first thing is we see here is this prayer is speaking to the character of God. The second thing we need to see this morning, it's, 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 it's rooted and it's full of the word of God. And I know my prayers can just be some human prayers. I just got my stuff, and I got my lists, and I'm just, whatever I'm feeling in the moment, whatever I'm thinking in the moment, I'm just throwing it up there, and he can handle all that. All right, but this prayer is, is rooted in the word of, of God. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Okay? Sovereign Lord from the Bible, and this direct quote, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything, that's a direct quote from Psalm 146.6. All right? They're not leaning on their own understanding. They're, they're going to address God, and they're going to ascribe things to God that are true. God is the creator of everything. 
It's all his. He made it. He owns it. He's the creator of all of it, and he's sovereign over it. That's what they say. It just, it's, it's, it's speaking the word of God, but it goes on. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by your Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Right at the beginning. These are not theologians. These are not students. These people had been with Jesus, which makes all the difference. All right. But these are fishermen. These are tax collectors. These are common folk. And they go to prayer and they acknowledge his character and they quote the second psalm. The second psalm is a messianic psalm. Now, I know they've been with Jesus. I'm sure Jesus revealed it to them. I'm sure the Holy Spirit revealed it to them. Psalm 2 is a very messianic psalm. And it speaks about how the rulers and the kings and all the significant people are going to oppose the works of God. They are. And they do. And they did. And King David knew it in his lifetime, but he wasn't speaking just about his lifetime. He was just speaking when the Lord would send his anointed one, the truly anointed one, not just a king over Israel, but the king over Israel. And what happened when that king came? They, they, they riled. They hated. They despised. I don't know much, but we got to get rid of this guy. He's raising people from the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. He's saying things no one else is saying. The man perfectly loved every moment of every day of his life. If he didn't, he can't be our savior, but he did. And they did everything they could to get rid of him. And that's what Psalm 2 says. That, that all these leaders, Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Jews and the Gentiles, they did everything they did. Let's kill this man. Let's execute this man. Let's assassinate this man. And they did. And they raged. And that's what Psalm 2 says. And you know what the church, the church says? Well, Jesus said if they do it to him, they're going to do it to us. They hated me. They're, they're going to hate you. They call me Beelzebub. They're going to call you worse. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when people revile you and hate you and persecute you and speak all kinds of evil against you. Here it is, for my name. I'm not talking about just any suffering this morning. I'm talking about suffering for the name of Jesus. I'm talking about people that are living for Jesus and speaking of Jesus and they're experiencing persecution. Blessed are people when blessed are you when people revile you and hate you and, and spurn your name as evil on my account. Rejoice in that day and be exceedingly glad. For so they treated the prophets who were before you. They went to Psalm 2 to encourage them and to comfort them and to recognize this is it. This is the way it's going to be. This is what our future, it's just getting started. It's going to get a whole lot worse. And let's go to Psalm 2 to find encouragement. And I want to say for every one of us in this room, we've adopted some posture that we shouldn't suffer. That somehow we're going to do everything we can to just keep suffering at bay, to keep any sense of real sacrifice at bay. And yet these people say, it's the way it's going to be. And I just want to say to you, as we would live for Jesus in a godless culture, it's the way it's going to be. We're not arrogant. We're not proud. I'm not looking down and railing on anybody. 
I'm trying to love them. I'm trying to encourage them, but at some point I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to speak of Jesus and they're going to be offended. And they're not going to want to talk to me anymore. And they might not want to hang out with me anymore. They might start talking to people I know about me in ways that I would rather not talk. Yes. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the rest of the book of Acts is going to unpack. Incredible suffering. Not just by Paul, but by all would go through. Sometimes I just need, because it's, it's so not the air we breathe. Right? I, I, sometimes I need. I know I've shared this book with you before. Uh, it's written by Nick Ripkin. I don't even know if that's his name. It's not his name. My wife's saying it's not even his name. So it's, it's Nick Ripkin, and the reason why he can't divulge his name. Um, he went to Somalia back in 1991, and it's the insanity of God. Get over the title. All right? I had, it took me about 15 minutes, maybe a couple days to get over the title, but just get over the title. Uh, the insanity of God by Nick, Nick Ripkin. And he, he was in Somalia in 1991, and he, um, he, uh, uh, he spent 10 years there, and he just suffered horribly. He saw in Somalia, if anybody knows older people, not these people in the first two rows, some older folks here, we know Somalia 1990, it was the worst place on the planet. I think we could, we could very conservatively say this is the worst place on the planet. He was there during that, and it was just death everywhere. Everywhere he looked, it was death. And to, to be Jesus in a strongly anti-Jesus place, it was amazing. And this man suffered. He lost a son there, and he came back kind of beaten and wounded. And he, and, he, and he just kind of was processing suffering. And he just said, on behalf of the church, and maybe for my own soul, I want to travel, and I want to speak to pastors and missionaries and, and Christian leaders and people who are in hard places that are experiencing suffering. And I want to just hear their stories. And I want to share them with maybe people like us in the West who have no context for that. And so he did. He went to China, and he went to Russia, and he went to Afghanistan, and he starts to interview these people, and he interviewed pastors. As I'm reading the second part of the book, it just becomes, un- un- he just keeps asking, how do you endure? How do you just week after week, year after year, imprisonments and, and beatings and being separated from your family and being left in the cold, and there's no one to care? How do you just endure week after week, month after month? And really to the person, they looked at him and said, what are you talking about? Why have you come here to ask me these questions? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Do you mean to tell me there's people that are living today that don't suffer for Jesus? There's people that don't go to prison for Jesus? There's people whose families aren't ripped apart for Jesus? That's the only reality we know. You're telling me there's places in the world that doesn't happen? One Russian pastor just stopped him, cold blank. When did you stop reading your Bible? This godly man who's given his life to serving Jesus every day meets a Russian pastor, and in the first five minutes, he asked him the question, when did you stop reading your Bible? God's people suffer. God's people stand for him. God's people filled with the Holy Spirit, they testify to who he is and to what he's done. It's a godless culture. They're going to hate it. He knows. Jesus came and he knew he would be hated. He knew. And the disciples here early on, they quote this biblical text because this is biblical reality. God's people suffer for his name. And Jesus' word for us this morning is blessed are you when you are persecuted 
for righteousness' sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. They pray a very biblical prayer, and it's for our good. And if we're thinking biblically, we would think along with them in that regard. It was a prayer about God's character. It was a prayer uh, that uh, was filled with God's word. And finally, this prayer expresses the will of God. This, this prayer expresses the will of God for these people. And I want to say this prayer expresses the will of God for this people. It's not all the will of God. Uh, we could say a whole lot more about the will of God, but this is no less the will of God. This is God's will for everyone that names the name Jesus. It, it reveals to us what is the will of God. Verse 29, and now, Lord... Look upon their threats. Let me stop there for a second. It's not where I'm going, but let me just stop there. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Okay? That's all they mention of them. All right? Lord, change us. All right? All he mentions is look upon their threats. Now, somebody wants to say awful things about me, say awful things about my wife, say awful things about my kids, say awful things about our church. Stuff starts getting welled up in me. Right? All of us. Kind of a natural response. All right? Lord, you take care of that. Lord, you look on their threats. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not for me to vindicate myself. It's not for me to defend myself. There are times the gospel needs to be defended. There are times we need to stand. But so often it's about my feelings are hurt. So often it's about my anger and frustration with how you just treated me and how you disrespected me. First of all, it's not you. It's Jesus. He's the one they really hate. And when we humbly and faithfully stand for him, we are going to be hated, and we need to just prepare for that. And they just simply said, Lord, look, just look on their threats. We're going to entrust them to you. You do what you got to do. You're sovereign. You're going to accomplish your purposes. You, you look upon their threats. Listen to what he prays for. This is the will of God for us. This was the will of God for them. Look upon their threats. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. That's God's will. I know 100% that's God's will for me and that's God's will for you. People don't get just encouraged in their Christian faith because I'm a nice guy. People, people don't come to Jesus because Jeff Crispins is just a really nice guy. Jeff does some really nice things. Jeff shows kindness, and Jeff is patient. They help. They start. They might start softening some soil. But at some point, Jeff has to speak about the hope that he has. Jeff has to give a reason for the hope that he has. People are not saved because we're nice people. People are saved because we open our mouths and declare the oracles of God. People are saved because we tell them lovingly, patiently, steadfastly, humbly, boldly, that we are all sinners and we are all alienated for God. I'm not okay. You're not okay. And our problem isn't our circumstances. Our problem is deep within our hearts. And we need a Savior, and he's come, and his name is Jesus. And he came with patience, and he extends even to me right now mercy, and he extends to you mercy right now. We just have to believe that the life he lived, he would one day credit to us because we don't live the life that, that, that God demands of us, but Jesus did. And by believing him, that very life can be ours, credited to us. 
And Jesus died when we all deserve to die. And, and he, he bore our sins and he appeased God's wrath. It was a rightful wrath and I deserve God's wrath. But Jesus came and bore that wrath and he conquered death and he rose again. He ascended to the Father. We have to speak. We have to share of the hope that we had. It's not about I'm quiet. It's not about I can't. All right? People are saved because they hear the gospel. People are encouraged because they hear the gospel. A young woman's going to come and give testimony in a minute because she's heard the gospel. She was blessed in a godly home and she's been blessed with a godly community. She needed to respond to the gospel and the gospel is spoken in words. And the prayer is that we would pray uh, and that we would speak the word of God with all boldness. Now, you put the title, so I'm just going to blame you. So the title for this message is A Prayer for Boldness. All right? Jason's not wrong. I would have put the same title. But as I looked at the text two times, that's not what the thing says. The text says, A Prayer for Continued Boldness. Continued boldness. They'd been bold. They're being bold. Don't let us shy down now, Lord. Give us increasing. Continue to help us speak your word with boldness. So I got to stop for just a minute. Draw to a close. All right. Let me just get on Peter and John for a minute. And this will help us. All right. So Peter and John, we rightfully so, this man saw, <laughs> we didn't heal this man. We got no ability to heal this man. Gave all glory to God. But wait a minute. They're praying for continued boldness. Peter is standing up in front of thousands of people, and he is bold. He is telling them, you've crucified the Lord of glory. You evil men determined to kill Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. He's lovingly and he's passionately, he's boldly standing in front of thousands of people and bearing witness. They get drug into this, 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 this council and elders and Peter, he's not asked to speak. He just speaks. He tells them what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. And they're, we, I, we forbid you to keep speaking. And this man, well, whatever you think, good or bad, we're going to keep speaking to him. Do we know this man? Was this not the man that seven weeks ago, he is around a fire outside of Caiaphas' house. He couldn't even say that he knew Jesus was to a servant girl. A servant girl around the fire says, hey, you were with him. No, I wasn't. I don't even know who he is. It's the same guy. He, he, he disappears. I don't know. Maybe you can correct me on the way out. I don't see him in the, in the crucifixion accounts. He's scattered in Gethsemane. He's probably standing way off in a distance. I know John's near the cross. I don't know where Peter is. But he doesn't seem to be. After Jesus' death, he's, he's hidden away in a room, scared to death for his life for the Jews. After Jesus' resurrection, he's still kind of scared to death. All right, they're still hiding away. What are the Jews going to do to us? This man is boldly proclaiming the gospel and calling people to repentance. You're sick. You, you need salvation. Repent. Turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus. He's pronouncing it. What happened? What happened to Peter? What happened to John? What happened to all these people? Two things. These two things. And I close. The resurrection and Pentecost. The resurrection and Pentecost. These men have borne witness to the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
This is, the, the resurrection of Jesus is not some abstract theological idea. The resurrection of Jesus is a bodily resurrection. This man, God, took on flesh. He lived. This man took on flesh. He died. His body was put in a grave, and three days later, he rose bodily from that grave. They believed in a bodily resurrection of Jesus. They saw Jesus with his glorified body. They saw Jesus with a body that was imperishable. It was undefiled. It was, it was, it was, it was, um, uh, Craig, help me. Conquerable, what's my word? Unconquerable, uh, what? Uh, Incorruptible. Ah, well, you use it all the time, so I don't need to put you on the spot there. But this was, this is not, this is not some man who came back from the dead. Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead. That's not what it is. He's got to glorify. They ate fish with this man. They ate meals with this man. They, they had fellowship with this man. They touched this man. He said to Thomas, put your fingers right in here. He is the resurrected Lord, the second person of the Trinity, is an embodied, resurrected Savior. He was then, he ascends as a resurrected bodily savior. He is at the Father's right hand now as a resurrected forever. He will be a bodily resurrected savior, Lord of all, King of kings. The resurrection changes everything. It's the center of our message. It's what distinguishes Christianity from all others. Jesus Christ is the only one who's been raised from the dead. We've seen it. We've been with him. We've witnessed it. We tested it. We touched him. We ate with him. He's, he was bodily resurrected. Hope of hopes, glory of glories. And because he was resurrected, we will be bodily resurrected. He has a body that's indestructible, the hope of an indestructible life. He has an indestructible, incorruptible body, a glorious body. And one day, we like Jesus. Resurrection changed these men. They were so close. It was so central to everything that they said and they did. And I just believe for many of us, it's a, it's a vague theological concept. It's a word that we just kind of throw around from time. We talk about his resurrection. These men were undone by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I believe we need a fresh undoing by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the, words, and the other one is, is Pentecost. These men were born again. These men were given new hearts. These men were given new minds. These men's lives were radically reoriented in an upper room in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit came upon them. The third person of the Trinity dwells and resides and lives inside of them. 2 Corinthians 6, our bodies are temples of the living God. I'll never get my mind around that reality. He has chosen to dwell, not just around his people. He's chosen to dwell in his people. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now made available to me. How? Miracle of miracles, wonders of wonders. The third person of the Trinity dwells inside all who believe. And that changes everything. So when we look at speaking the word with boldness, we have to revisit our understanding and our experience of and our relation to the resurrection of Jesus. Does it burn at the center of our faith? There's nothing I want to talk about more. There's nothing I want to know about more. There's nothing I want to share more. He's been risen from the grave bodily. It's going to mess people's minds all kind of up. But it's true. 
and it changes everything. And when we recognize that we have been filthy, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. You're full of the Spirit. You're going to go witness this martyr. You're going to go die for me. You're going to lay your life down every day, and some of you are going to lay it down really. That's what this is about, and it's going to be joyous, and there's going to be no greater journey than, than, than living the resurrection and, 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 and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost transform these men. We don't look to these men, so what do they do? Colossians 3. Just Colossians 3. Just, just I, I set your mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. That's us. That's, that's where I am. I got so many earthly things just big. No, set your mind on eternal things, for you've died. It's not about you anymore. You, you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we set our, our eyes on eternal things. We, we exhaust ourselves knowing this Christ who died, knowing this Christ who, who rose. We sing about it as much as we can. We preach it as much as we can. I surround myself as much as I can with people who can remind me and instruct me and teach me why so I can just sit and be with those people all the time. No, so that I can go out into a broken, lost world and speak the word of God with boldness. Boldness isn't a virtue. Boldness is, a, is an empowering of the Holy Spirit as we would draw near to God, as we would contemplate the riches of his grace and his mercy and his kindness to us in Jesus. It's not something I manufacture and I produce, but it's God, I would draw near to God and he would draw near to us. And we would be people rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, knowing our temples or our, 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 our bodies are temples of the living God. God grants boldness. The text concludes, and after they had done praying, the house was shaken. I don't know. Commentator's not real sure. You know what I want to say? God said amen. God, for just a moment, manifested himself in a very real way, shook the house. He said amen. So be it. Let's go. And there were willing servants that were willing to go. Word of God says that they were full of the Holy Spirit. A fresh outpouring. I got everything I can ever have in Jesus right now. If you're believing in Jesus, he's poured it out. We've got everything. But there are times where God just provides a gracious, fresh outpouring of his spirit. A little reminder of, that he's for us and not against us. And he's supernatural. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word with all boldness. Brothers and sisters, might we, we be moved by these truths? Might we be gripped by these truths? Might we give ourselves increasingly to the truth of God's word and the truth of the resurrection of Jesus, of the truth that he is sovereign over all things? Nothing is going to impact. And as we would walk in his will for our lives, he will grant all we need and more through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. I pray for some of us, we repent today. Me, I've been repenting for three weeks. Carmen, and you asked in, in Sunday school, Carmen, you're way back there, I think, right? Um, Carmen just asked, has, has anybody had a an instance where because of fear of man, you didn't share your faith? I was sitting in class last week. I started laughing. 
Like, I don't know if anybody, what they think, I was laughing. Does anyone have an instance where fear of man has kept them from sharing their faith? I got a hundred. You want a thousand? Well, I kept my mouth shut when I should have spoken, when I should have declared truth. This is your pastor speaking. I do open my mouth. But many times because of fear of man, don't fear man who can just take your life. You fear God who can take your life and cast your soul in hell. Fear him. That's where we began this service. That God would work in us a holy fear and a holy reverence for Jesus' resurrection and an awareness that he has given us everything we need through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Might we repent and might we believe this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for how your word comes in our lives in power. It's not emotion, it's, it's, it's your word. It is mighty. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it divides joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It pierces to the deepest desires and longings of our hearts and of our lives. I pray that your word would pierce my heart Pray that your word would pierce our hearts and it would bring repentance. We don't repent once in our life. We don't repent five times in our life. We repent every day. We're aware. I didn't, Lord, I didn't open my mouth. I didn't say a thing. I am so sorry. You gave me a wonderful opportunity and I didn't say anything. Lord, would you help me? Help us to own it. Lord, would you help me just next time to maybe move that conversation? Next time, humbly speak into that confusion and that lie or that deception. Um, Lord, would you bring repentance and would you bring faith among your people? Uh, Do it not only for our sake, but do it for your name's sake. And we'll give you thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.